Well, good morning, and uh, good to be back uh, with you all. Uh, I don't particularly love not being at Faith Church on a Sunday morning, but I recognize the value and uh, being able to step away. And uh, so, but it's good to be back. Uh, there's no place that I would rather be on a Sunday morning than here, I can tell you that much. Uh, go to get your Bibles out, Acts 4. Uh, turn to Acts 4 as we continue in our sermon series. Uh, total church, the whole of church for the whole church, Acts 4. Uh, as you're turning to Acts 4, let me start with a question, and I promise, I promise, I promise there's some significance to this. Okay. Uh, church is a great place to be honest. I would say that any place is a great place to be honest, but church is an especially good place to be honest. So true confessions, all right, true confessions. How many cowboy fans are in the room here this morning? Okay. See those hands go up? Okay, I, I, give, I give cowboy fans a lot of grief, um, rightfully so. Uh, that's a good football team. Now, let me say one other thing, because you will probably never, ever hear me say this again, but I'm going for the Cowboys today, okay? Um, amen! What do you mean, amen? What is wrong with you? Right, it's only because they're playing the Seahawks. I can't stand the Seahawks. No offense, Aaron, but... Uh, uh, okay, but here, okay, listen, listen, listen. I promise I had a point to this. See, when I said, how many of you are, are, are Cowboy fans? You see how quick the hands are? Like, hey, I'm a Cowboys fan. I mean, I couldn't believe how quickly you were willing to admit that, right? Okay, but see, see, when it comes to a football team, when it comes to a school we went to, when it comes to a band or a city we live in, how quickly, right, how quickly we will boldly proclaim that we're about that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. Okay, here, watch this. How many people in here are Broncos fans? Still a little bitter about last week, for the record. Okay? Uh, you're free. You're, you're, no, hey, no. You're free to say nothing about it, okay? I had to watch live my team get destroyed. But, uh, see, we'll boldly proclaim that. We'll, we'll boldly proclaim where we went to college, what city we're from, those things. But then when it comes to the person of Jesus, it's not the same. I'm more hesitancy, I'm more reserved, I'm not as confident, I'm not as forthright about that. Now, let's just put this in perspective. I'll be all about a team that plays a game, but I'm not all about the Savior of the universe. Whoops. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? And yet, as we come to Acts chapter 4 this morning, what we're going to see is we see the, the apostles who will boldly proclaim a message, and the message is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and understand, okay, understand that in Acts 3, what Pastor Stephan taught on last week, and Acts 4, it's one story, it's one unit, it's one event that's unfolding. And so it started last week, and, and, and the healing, and, and then Peter beginning to preach, culminates this week with the apostles' bold proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now, the title of the message this morning is not just about proclamation. You'll notice that the title of the message is God at Work Through Proclamation, Persecution, and Prayer. Now here, I'll just kind of frame this at the outset, and then we'll walk through this passage and see this uh, time and again. But, but uh, notice this, first of all, God at Work. God's the one who's at work, loved ones. God is the one who's doing this. So don't mistake uh, Peter or the religious leaders, anyone else, as the ones doing the work. God's the one who's doing the work. And God's at work when we uh, proclaim the message. But you want to start talking about Jesus, you want to start proclaiming the message, 
make no mistake, what's going to show up is there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some opposition. I'll just tell you right now that God's at work in that too. God's using that. And finally, what we'll see is God at work in prayer. And you see kind of the circle uh, that's formed. God at work in proclamation. God at work in persecution. And then persecution driving us to a place of prayer. And I don't know that I would ever ever want to go to the place of proclamation without starting in the place of prayer. So let's just begin to see this here in the text. Here, first few verses, Luke really sets the stage for us. By end of chapter 3, Peter's speaking with the people. Notice uh, Acts 4, starting in verse 1. Here we go. And as they, right, the apostles were speaking to the people. So, so maybe Peter had formally stopped preaching and there's this engagement going on uh, with the people. Notice some, uh, some, some, some folks show up. Uh, the priest... We all know what the priest did. The captain of the temple, some of your translations might say the temple guard. This was the temple police. They were actually, uh, had a high uh, level of command. And then uh, this group, the Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees were part of the religious elite. Uh, Interestingly enough, they did not believe in the resurrection, not only of Jesus, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of anyone or anything for that matter. Uh, That'll become prominent here in just a moment. So notice they come upon uh, the apostles having this conversation with all the people. And then uh, notice verse 2. Uh, how do they feel about it? Well, they don't feel very good. The, uh, they're greatly annoyed. They're bugged. They're worked up. They're troubled. Okay, why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Okay, I get why the Sadducees are bugged about that. What's, what's the priest issue? What's, what's the temple police issue? Notice, verse 3, what happens because of this. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Most likely what's happening there is they couldn't assemble all of the necessary people uh, to move through the trial, if you will. And so they said, you know what, we're going to put you in jail. We'll deal with this tomorrow morning. We'll get everyone uh, together. And then this brief little anecdotal note, we won't spend much time with it, but don't, don't let that mean that it's not significant or profound. The proclamation goes forward, and then look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. People don't get saved if the word doesn't go forward, loved ones. And irrespective of what happens to you and I, irrespective of how we're treated, part of the result of the word going forward is people believe. That's what we see happening. That many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. After this point, Luke quits counting. He just gets bigger and bigger. And he's like, I'm done counting. It's just too many to count. So notice verse 5 on the next day. uh, The rulers, that's really the senior priests. The elders, this would be like civic leaders. And the scribes, right? The scribes were the guys who uh, studied and interpreted the Old Testament. These were the guys you never wanted to play Bible trivia with. Okay? Because you're just going to get flat out smoked. Uh, by these guys. They knew it backwards and forwards. So they all gather together in Jerusalem. And then Luke mentions some specific individuals with Annas, uh, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Uh, It tells us that Annas was the high priest. At this point in time, it's possible that Caiaphas was actually the high priest. Uh, Both of them serving as high priest at some point in time. Uh, John and Alexander also part of the high priestly family. So, So let's set the scene here for a moment. You've got all these senior priests, you've got all these civic leaders, you've got all these scribes, you've got these um, uh, both uh, past and present future uh, high priests. And and so notice what it says beginning of verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, 
So here, here's what it would have looked like is, is imagine if the seats kind of curled all the way around like this. Okay. And they filled in all the way around. Now I'll be Peter. I don't normally get to be the guy that does the cool thing. I'm going to be Peter here this morning and you all get to be the lame people. Okay. You're the scribes and the priest and the elders and some of you can be the high priest or whatever. And, and so go ahead and get, get, give me a look as to what you're thinking right now. And don't smile at me. None of you are happy. Some of you are. Th- look at Mark Elkin. Mark Elkin, do that. No, no, he's laughing. There it is. Okay, he can't even do it without laughing anymore. Okay, but like this, this look of. Ah! Now, how many of you? Okay, how many of you? This situation, right? And all wrapping around you. It's a little bit intimidating, isn't it? Maybe be a little bit fearful to be so forceful. With what God would have you say. Now notice, notice, notice. Okay, right. God at work is the first thing. God at work through proclamation. Look at verse 8. Actually, sorry, verse 7. Here's the question they pose. By what power or by what name did you do this? And then verse 8. Then Peter, you might want to underline these next few words. Filled with the Holy Spirit. See, here's God at work right here. God's doing this. God's going to speak through him. God's the one who's going to drive this right here. This isn't Peter conjuring something up. This isn't Peter thinking some great idea. This is the power of God being demonstrated right here in and through a particular individual. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Jesus told us this very thing that unfolds right here would happen? Jesus told us before he died, this thing that's happening in Acts, where he said, hey, listen, this is going to happen. In fact, he told us in Luke 21, in Luke 21, he was talking about all kinds of different natural disasters that were going to happen. And then he said this, Okay, keep in mind, this is the words of Jesus. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now check out what Jesus says next. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. He says, hey, listen, when they grab you, when they, when they bring you in, in front of them, when they have this charade, which this really is right here, that's your chance. That's your chance to bear witness. Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, settle it, therefore, in in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Okay, so let's just see if that holds water. Let's see if Jesus was telling the truth or not. Uh, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed... Did you see what he's starting with right here? He goes, okay, hey, let me, let's just call it what it is. This is a charade. This is a sham. I'm on trial for healing someone. How many people do you know have gone to court over doing good for someone? Right? How, how many convictions are there on, hey, this guy couldn't walk, but now he is. Let's give him 10 years. You, you ever seen any of those? I don't see those in the judicial system. I see people getting hurt. I see people being harmed. I don't see people being healed going to trial. It was no different in their day either. He exposes, see, he's exposing what's really going on in their heart here. And notice in verse 10, see, God at work through the proclamation of the gospel. God at work through the proclamation of the gospel. Look at what he says. Verse 10 is really the gospel in a nutshell. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that, that, that name You're going to see that theme showing up over and over and over again here in these next uh, number of weeks in Acts 4 and Acts 5. That's that's the thing that is rubbing people so wrong then. It's the same thing today. 
But let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that by this man, right, Jesus, and of course, when sometimes, sometimes when we look at Jesus Christ, I think uh, we think that Christ is like his last name. Right? Like instead of Jesus Christ, it would be like Jesus McDonald or Jesus Smith or Jesus, you know, but it's like, no, no, that, that's the title, okay? If you think of Messiah, he's telling us who Jesus is. Now notice what he tells us next, whom you crucified. So he starts with the person of Jesus. Then he's going to tell us, hey, here's, here's who you are. You're, you're a sinner. Hear this, loved ones, you're a sinner. You're a sinner who rejected and rebelled against the God of the universe. God made provision through a Savior. We have rejected God's ways. It's kind of at odds. And so God sent Jesus to the cross in your place and in my place to be reconciled and redeemed back to him. And then, of course, at the end of verse 10, he didn't leave Jesus dead. Uh, the Jesus conquering of death is what allows us, gives us confidence and hope that we too will one day uh, conquer death, right, whom God raised from the dead. See, in a nutshell, right there, there's the gospel. The person of Jesus, the, who you and I are and what God has done. And then he finishes with this. He says, by him, by Jesus, this man is standing before you well. It's the healing hand of God that has done this. In the same way that it's the healing hand of God that changes and transforms wicked, rebellious sinners like you and I into the people of God. Who are still wicked, rebellious sinners. We're just covered by the grace of God. All right? Now, let me just one other thing here about the proclamation of the gospel. He makes this statement here at the end, whom God raised from the dead. If, if I was one of the religious leaders... Uh, that was kind of the thing that the apostles kept coming back to over and over and again. Hey, this Jesus guy, he's alive. You know, that guy you killed, he's, he's alive, he's alive again. If I wanted to squash the message, the easiest way to do that would be to take them to the grave and go, here you go. Not alive. But of course, we don't even see the relig religious leaders even attempting to do that. Right? Because it's hard to drag a living man back from heaven all right, to prove a point that you can't really make. All right, so understand, understand that the, even the religious leaders never even questioned as to whether or not Jesus was in fact dead or alive. God at work through the proclamation of the gospel. Notice this, secondly, God at work through the proclamation of Jesus alone. God at work through the proclamation of Jesus alone. He tells us two different things regarding Jesus and, and really gets at what is... Um, quite difficult for so many in our day and age to handle, and it's that we can't avoid, all right, we just can't avoid this whole one-way uh, exclusivity thing regarding Jesus, and yet that's exactly where Peter goes. Look what he says in verse 11. This Jesus, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, all right? There's our guilt again, uh, the builders which has become the cornerstone. Right, Jesus is the cornerstone. Here's what you've got to know about the cornerstone. The cornerstone we build today, we build foundations, we stick it under the ground, and then we set everything on top of it. Uh, in Jesus' day and age, when they build, they would start with a cornerstone, and the cornerstone was not sunk into the ground. It was left on top of the ground. All right? And, and furthermore, it was the a point of origination for the building, and it determined the direction of the building. Now, is that not Jesus to a T? He's the point of origination for us, but he determines and directs all that we are and all that we do. 
And so Jesus, right, him alone, he's the cornerstone. You don't have three cornerstones. You don't have seven cornerstones. You have one cornerstone. Just to make sure that there was no doubt, look at verse 12. If you don't have this verse memorized, you probably want to change that. Uh, There's salvation in no one else. I mean, how clear is that, right? There's salvation in no one else. And as if that wasn't clear enough, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, the proclamation of Jesus alone not only is the cornerstone, but is the Savior. There's salvation in no, no one else. There's, there's no other name. It's not that Jesus is the best name. It's not that he's the most efficient or effective name. It's not that he's the most productive name. He's the only name. There's no other name. I mean, look at what he says. There's no other name. There's no other name. He's it. Last week, Pastor Stephen talking about chapter 3, sometimes we look at um, uh, perception of things and then the reality of things and how we'll look for saviors in other areas and other things and the futility of that, right? There's salvation in no one else. You're not going to find it anywhere else. It's in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Now, you've probably seen this play out. I know I've had this experience. Talk about God. Talk about spiritual things. That's great. I love that. Oh, that's so fantastic. And then what happens when you drop the name? You want to talk about turning a conversation on its head, right? Yeah, I love Jesus. Right? Screeching halt. See, because there's something in the name. There's something in that name. And we struggle with the fact that there's an exclusivity to it. But that's exactly what Peter says here. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God at work through the proclamation. God at work through proclamation of the gospel. God at work through the proclamation of Jesus alone. Before we ever get to the good news of who Jesus is, we have to be uncomfortable with the bad that you and I are sinners who desperately need a Savior and that Jesus Christ and Him alone is the way to salvation. God at work through proclamation. Now notice, notice verse 13. Look at what it says here. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, just in case you're wondering, that's not a compliment, uh, they were astonished. So they identify the boldness, right? They see the boldness in them. And specifically what they're tying uh, to um, Peter and John in boldness, they're seeing, look at what it says next. And they recognize that they've been with Jesus. They recognize, man, these guys have been with Jesus. And specifically, the way in which they are bold, the way in which they're not intimidated, the way in which they don't back down, that reminds us of that other guy who just refused to cave. He refused to be intimidated. In fact, maybe to the point that they were furious and so frustratingly mad about this Jesus guy. And yet, see, there was a problem there's a problem for the religious leaders, right? They recognize that they had been with Jesus. And maybe, maybe even inside of them, like welling up is this pent-up anger. They're still mad or frustrated, like, oh, I still can't stand that Jesus guy. And you guys remind me of him. You ever had someone in your life, they kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth? 
Um, like Denver Bronco fans have left a bad taste in my mouth this past week, all right? Um, and, and you're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can handle that yet. And it's probably something like that, except a little bit worse, right? There's bad taste in their mouth, and they're seeing that with Peter and John, except there's this one problem. Here's the problem in verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Right, so they're looking at Peter and John. They're recognizing the boldness. They're seeing, man, he's just like Jesus. But there's this one problem. And I, I kind of see like the guy just kind of standing there, just kind of like, just kind of happy and waving, almost kind of clueless to some of the things that are unfolding uh, in front of him, which probably was even more frustrating to them. Uh, but like, we can't refute the fact that that guy's healed. I mean, it's, we, we, we've seen him every day for decades. And he's standing there. And so what do we do with that? Right, God at work through proclamation. Here's the second thing. See, they go the wrong way with it. Uh, but don't mistake the fact that God's still not using this. God at work through persecution. God at work through persecution. See, they realized they had an issue on their hand. They had a problem. Uh, and so, so verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Okay, like, you guys out. We're going to discuss this. So they uh, boot them out. And then look at verse 16. I think the, tra- the, the, the tragedy of what happens in verse 16 is the question that they ask, and more importantly, the questions that they don't ask of each other. Here's what they say. What shall we do with these men? What shall we do with these men? So I think the question they should have been asking is, what do we do with all of this? What, what, what do we do with everything that's standing right in front of us? What do we, what, we, we can't deny the miracle. We, we, we can't deny the fact that, that those apostles look a whole lot like that Jesus guy. And keep in mind, it wasn't that many weeks ago that those same guys were cowards and in hiding. And now have come full circle and just, and just stared down the entirety of the religious leadership. All the people outside are, are fully convinced of what's going on. I mean, you realize they're the only ones who aren't buying into this. That's the tragedy. Is not that they're saying, what do we do with these men? It's, not, it's that they're not saying, God, what are you calling us to? What are you asking of us? I think that's really some great insight into their heart. See, what they go on and say, they say, for that a notable sign has been performed through them as evidence, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, all those people believe it. But see, even they say, and we cannot deny it. It's clear to us too. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this. See, there it is again. Name. This name. And here, so clearly, right in front of them, with great clarity, the truth of the gospel being manifested in the life of another individual, and yet they rejected it. It was so clear, so obvious, so evident, and yet they clearly rejected it. Now, I think there's a number of reasons for this. Uh, and as we get to those here in a moment, uh, let me frame it, because I think for a lot of us, a lot of us in different ways, we will do the very same thing. We're all reject elements of what God calls me to, of what God longs for us to be, because I don't want to change. And I think that was really at the heart of what these, what's going on with the religious leaders. They don't want to change. Okay, they don't want to change. So just ask yourself, is this true of me? Am I unwilling to change? Am I, am I unwilling to adjust my life to the truth of God's word because I'm not willing to change one of these things? Uh, first of all, unwilling to change their relationships. Change their relationships. You, you surrender yourself to Jesus, you better be darn sure that some of your relationships are going to change. 
People are going to look at you differently. They're going to treat you differently. Some of that positive, some of that negative, but it's going to change. Maybe you're unwilling to move to that place. Unwilling to change your status. They're unwilling to change their status. Maybe you're unwilling to change your status. If I I really went full out, if I really uh, got really bold, really serious, really clear about this, what are the people in my work going to think? What are my circle of friends going to think? What are my family going to think? Is it, is it going to change my status? Are they going to respect me less? Are they going to think less highly of me? It's them or God, right? I mean, if we're just being blunt. So I think for a lot of us, this, this is something that's difficult, is that it's going to change my lifestyle. It's going to change the way in which I live, the way in which I conduct myself, the way in which I speak, the way in which I think, the way in which I treat others. See, the Word of God, (laughs) there's no way that you can let the Word of God have its desired effect in you and not be changed. One of the things I love about Walt Lauer, Walt Lauer, how old are you? How old are you? 88. I'm putting Walt on the spot here. I didn't know I was going to do this. He's 88 years old. You know what I love about Walt Lauer? That guy still changes. He's still growing. He tells me all the time different ways that he's growing or different things that he had to learn or different ways that he had to mature. Now, I'll just, I'll just tell you, if Walt Lauer still has to grow and change, then for some of us, it's hopeless, right? Okay? Right? And of course, he's like, no, no, right? Because Walt, Walt knows. Walt knows how much God has changed him. Right? For some of us, it's like, I, I don't want to change the way in which I live. I'm unwilling to adjust my life to the truth of God's word because I'm not willing to change my lifestyle. And see, all of these, all of these really boil down to uh, this final one is I'm unwilling to change their heart. I'm not willing to change my heart. I don't want to surrender my heart to the, to the authority of Jesus in my life. I, I don't want to succumb to the lordship and the rulership of Jesus in my life because I like being on the throne. Right, who said it? Who said it? Someone said it. Selfishness, self-centeredness, right? That's what it is. It's about me. It's about me. Now, listen, listen, make no mistake that only God is going to be the one that's going to change the heart of any sinner. All right, but on our end, on our end, as we look at those, those items up there, and there's certainly more, are we rejecting some element of the gospel? Are we rejecting the fullness of Jesus because I'm unwilling to change one of those things? God at work through persecution. Right? These guys revealing their heart. And so then what they do is they move to the place of persecution. Notice two things here. Uh, first of all, verse 17 and 18. Uh, God at work uh, in persecution. The first thing we see is that they're, uh, the apostles are warned to speak no more. Don't speak anymore. Look at, let me read verse 17 again. But in order that it may spread no further among the people. Right? They just want to stop the proclamation. That's what they're after. But it's warned them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, right? They bring them back in and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Quit saying the name. Quit talking about that guy. Quit teaching us about that guy. You can talk about morality. You can talk about righteousness. You can talk about the law. You can talk about all those things. Quit talking about Jesus. It's probably how it went down. Something to that effect. Warned to speak no more. I love Peter and John's response, right? Uh, Check out verse 19. 
whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Right? They're probably going, oh, there's another way they're like Jesus. Right? Jesus was a master of turning things and taking it and putting it back in, in people's court where they're kind of stuck in a catch-22. Right? Remember, remember um, where they're talking about taxes give and, and, and they're like, well, should we give taxes or not? And they have that issue with the Romans and Jesus is like, give me a coin. And then they hand him a coin. He's like, hey, whose inscription is on this? And they're like, well, Caesar's. He goes, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And everyone's like, right, mind blown. And oh, my goodness, kind of blew up in our face. Right. Same thing here. They're going, hey, should we listen to you or to God? Well, you should listen to. Uh, well played, guys. Right. Well played. Right. Because if you say you should listen to us, what you just said is, hey, we're, our word is more authoritative than what God says. But if you say, well, you should listen to God, of course. OK, good. We'll just reject what you are telling us then. And so 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 that's really what they move to then in verse 20. Right. They they force these guys to be the judges of themselves and then they just wholesale reject what they told them to do, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In the Greek, it's literally, we cannot not speak. Like, we have to keep speaking about this. Now, we live, we live in a time where there is increasing pressure to stop speaking. Quit saying the name. You can talk about God, you can talk about spirituality, you can talk about morality, you can talk about righteousness. Just don't talk about Jesus. And in the last few years, now it's like, okay, well, they won't quit talking about Jesus, so let's re-image Jesus. Let's build him in a way that's palatable for all of us. I'm not sure what's worse, quite honestly. Now, it's going to happen, okay? You, you, you and I are going to be warned to speak no more. Some of you have already had that happen. Some of you have had that happen repeatedly. But the question in front of us isn't whether or not this is going to happen. The question in front of us is how are we going to respond when it happens? What are we going to do? Will we be silenced? Will we be done? Or will we say, as the apostles say, we cannot not Speak of this. Now, I'll tell you that, that I think we can be um, more gracious and compassionate in the conversation. I think we can be much more winsome. I think we can be more engaging in how we go about this. Uh, I think we can also be a lot less obnoxious. Uh, sometimes we're just obnoxious. Okay? But we cannot, we cannot, we cannot be silent. Becky said such a great thing as we were talking about this. She said, I don't want, my, I don't want to be uh, moved to the place of being bold when I'm forced to do it. I want to do it when I still have the freedom to do it. I want my life to be a bold reflection of who Jesus is, not because I'm pushed into that place, but because that's who I am. Amen to that, man. Don't we so want that? God at work in persecution, warned to speak no more. Then notice this, verse 21. Okay, they reject uh, the decision, verse 21, when they had further threatened them. They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Right, they're, they're threatened for their faith. They're threatened for their faith. Uh, likely, likely, likely threatening some form of a beating, which is actually coming up in the latter part of uh, chapter 5. 
Now, listen, it's, it's going to happen. Okay? In, in some of our lifetimes, we're going to see this. Not on in the far reaches of the planet, but in our own country, because inevitably it, it'll happen. Okay, same question. Will the threats silence us? Or will we continue to be bold? Will we continue to proclaim? Will we see God at work in the proclamation, God at work in persecution? Right? God at work in persecution. Think about that statement. God at work in persecution. Some of you might be like, I don't, I don't even like the way that sounds. That sounds horrible. God at work in persecution. That, that seems so twisted or it's paradoxical or what? what, what? Now God's at work in that. Now look at verse 22 because we, 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 don't, we don't only see God at work in persecution. We also see God at work in hardship. Verse 22 is, it could easily be so innocuous and uh, inconsequential, and yet I think maybe one of the most profound things that we see in all of the book of Acts is found right here in verse 22. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Right? Persecution, persecution is difficulty that comes because of my faith. Difficulty and hardships um, come to build our faith. You see the distinction there? Okay, persecution comes because of your faith. Difficulties and hardship uh, come to build your faith. And if you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, we're told that this man was born lame. And now here in chapter 4, verse 22, it says, For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 40 years. Never walked. Never ran. Never jogged. Never did it by himself. Always, always, always having to have someone move him from point A to point B. You want to bet this guy had some moments where the why started, started coming out? God, why me? Why this? Why so long? Why won't you heal me? Why? Remember in John 9? Jesus and the disciples... And uh, they come upon the man who was born blind. And the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But he was born blind so that the power of God could be demonstrated in his life. That's why. That's why. And the same thing is true of this man. For 40 years, for 40 years, unable to walk. Now get this, get this right here. God allows difficulties. God allows trials, valleys, hardships. Because at a particular point in time, he is going to demonstrate his power in that as a platform for the gospel. Do you get that? Do you understand that? That God allows difficulties, trials, hardships, these these dark times in our life, because at some point, at some point, God is going to show up. He's going to demonstrate his power in that as a platform for the gospel. I just started thinking about your own life for a moment. What difficulty, what valley, what uh, hardship do you find yourself in? Maybe, uh, maybe there's uh, some great loss. Maybe there's a disease. Maybe there's cancer. Right? Maybe it's terminal. Maybe you so desperately long to be married and God has said no. Maybe you so long to have children 
and God has said no. Maybe you don't want your children. Um, I'm saying that jokingly, right? You find them in a difficult place. We we joke about that, but some of you as parents so grievous. And someone talked to me before the service, just this difficult, difficult place where they're at with one of their children. And what I would say to you, what I think God's word wants to say to you in this moment, is that I put the difficulties, I put the hardships, I put the valleys in your life because at a particular point in time, I'm going to demonstrate my power through that as a platform for the gospel. Now, if you don't think that stuff isn't still happening today, you're, you're, you're crazy. Because it's happening all the time. In fact, it's happening here at Faith Church. Lynn Nanneman, where are you, man? Come on up. If you don't know Lynn, if you're newer to Faith Church, let me, on the floor, you want to come up here. It doesn't matter, bro. We can go either way. Okay, okay. If you don't know Lynn or you're not familiar with the story, let me just summarize it briefly about uh, 14 months ago, Lynn owns um, three snap fitnesses in the area, and he was uh, getting ready to move into another one of the locations and was on a ladder. And uh, the ladder slipped out uh, from underneath him, and Lynn fell and uh, utterly obliterated the lower half of his right leg. And through numerous surgeries, all kinds of infections, uh, countless um, medications, and a number of other things, uh, doctors worked and worked and worked to try to restore uh, Lynn's leg. And then, probably, what, six, seven weeks ago? I, mean, I guess two months ago, that's right, right? Two months ago, almost to the day. Um, yep. uh, they amputated the lower half of Lynn's uh, right leg. And so I couldn't help but think of um, how eerily similar in some respects your story is to what we see uh, in Acts chapter 3 in the man who was unable to walk and then eventually was able to walk. But Lynn, I, I want you to speak, right? Because you're, you're still in the midst of this. You're, you're certainly not out of this. But I want to ask you a couple of questions and just speak into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a moment. Uh, We know that things like this uh, are rarely easy. Uh, And so what I want our people to hear from you is to speak to um, what have been some of the most difficult items in this, uh, both spiritually and emotionally for you and Denise. Um, Well, uh, I would say emotionally is just the frustration of seeing things that I wanted to do that I thought needed to be done and not being able to do those things. You know, I had to you know, not do some things, ask other people to do some things, to be dependent. Um, when I'm used to being, you know, independent and being able to do things on my own, so emotionally that was hard and would be frustrating. And and um, you know, I you know, thankfully, uh, when the accident happened, you know, I was thinking, okay, three months, and then you know, I'll I'll be you know back at it again. If I would have known it was going to be as long as it has been, I probably would have really despaired at that time. So, you know, God God has really uh, uh, blessed me in a lot of ways, and that was one of them. But the uh, spiritually, you know, one of the things that, you know, I thought a lot about is so many people, uh, many of you would tell me, I'm praying for you, I'm praying that your leg will heal quickly and... and uh, um, and and so when my leg wasn't healing quickly, you know, I was I felt I kind of felt bad for everyone else's faith, in the, uh, you know, and a little guilty that you know I wasn't cooperating in that way. 
Um, <laughs> the, the nerve of him, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, and, you know, and really wondering, you know, well, um, you know, why is it taking so long? And, um, um, but, you know, I began to, you know, to, to really try to surrender it to God and to say, okay, you know, it's, you know, I even said, you know, last fall, I said, okay, God, if you want to take my leg, you can have my leg. You know, I just want, you know, to be close to you. Um, I want my relationship to you to be deeper. And you can have my leg if you want my leg. Um, So that was part of of it spiritually, but to surrender. And one of the, um, one of the, the great examples that I meditated on a lot in surrender was, you know, our Lord himself. Mm-hmm. You know, when he went off by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and he said, you know, Father, I ask that you would remove this cup. I'm paraphrasing, but <laughs> if you would re- remove this cup from me. And he was talking about the cup of suffering that he was about to endure on the cross. Um and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so, you know, I mean, if Jesus himself can surrender and submit, um, you know, we should be able to follow that example and, and surrender and submit. So, so there was a lot of surrendering and, uh, um, and letting, letting God have control of this situation and and, you know, I also considered that, you know, my life is not my own. You know, it's, it's um, uh, Jesus paid the price for it. So, you know, it belongs to him. Right. How, how have you seen this? How has God taken something that from the outside and certainly from a non-spiritual perspective could be only classified as bad? How have you seen God use this for good and as a platform for the gospel? Well, um, so many of... So many people, many of you included, would say, Lynn, what a testimony you've been. And so, you know, that really cheered my heart. And, you know, and, and I always try to answer, it's not me, it's God. You know, God really gave me incredible peace with the whole situation. You know, I, you know, I, I'm, it surprised me, you know, how how much peace I had over not worrying about it, you know, really um, seeing all of the things I had to be thankful for all along the way, um, including the love and support of, of, of our church family, but uh, in, in, you know, my fantastic wife. But uh, um, so, um, so that uh, those that feedback that I would get about how uh, people saw the way I was dealing with the situation as a testimony. This week, um, Denise and I were invited to go fishing with a non-Christian couple that that we know. And uh, we went out on their boat and we spent the whole day with them. And, and uh, you know, towards the end of the day, they said, you know, we've, we've taken other people out on our boat and they complain about everything. And, uh, um, you know, what's going on in their life and how hard it is. And, and here you are, Lynn, you've lost your leg and, and you know, you're, you're wearing a prosthesis and you haven't complained all day. Amen. 
So, you know, it can be as simple as that. And they know we're believers and, you know, so, you know, we weren't led to share the gospel Wednesday, but, you know, I hope that, you know, in the future we'll be able to do that with them. And I know, I know uh, just being that Becky and I work out at SNAP that uh, I had numerous, and I mean numerous times, uh, <coughs> where I would overhear people talking uh, about Len. Um, at times I would just interject myself into the conversation because I'm that guy. Uh, but, uh, but hear them at t- other times, I just kind of listen, what are they saying? What are they perceiving? What is it that they're uh, identifying in this? And a number of times where you just hear people go, the guy's going to lose his leg and he is just okay with it. I don't get it. What is it inside of him? Things of that nature. And so, so mm-hmm. I, I can speak to the fact that, that not only was it happening, but even because of his difficulty, I had opportunities as well. And saw the and, gospel platform. And Denise has, Denise has uh, you know, been doing a lot of my chores in the business. And so she'll be in there and people will be asking and, and she'll be sharing similarly. When they ask me, I say, God has just given me this amazing grace to be able to endure this difficult time. Amen. And I couldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do it without them and without the prayers of many, many people. Okay, Lynn, final question here. Um, Undoubtedly, you're, you're not alone, or we're, we're not alone in this, uh, in terms of a number of people in this room going through an incredible valley, an incredible trial or difficulty. What would you say to them in the midst of all that you've seen in the last 14 months? What would you encourage them with? Well, I, you know, I don't know if this works for everybody, but, you know, I kind of had this idea that, you know, when um, Paul talks about how people are appointed to be teachers and, uh, and, uh, um, to, uh, and prophets and so forth, I, I kind of took the idea that, okay, God has allowed this um, situation in my life almost as an appointment as part of his kingdom. I'm going to be the best um, um, sufferer with a broken ankle that I can be, you know, for his <laughs> glory. And I know that sounds sounds kind of funny, but, you know, it's almost like, you know, that's a role that I'm playing right now in God's kingdom. And so you consider the situation you're in, how can you be the best at that situation as you can be? Whether it's the best unemployed person or, you know, the best uh, cancer patient. I think of, uh, I always think of Kay Roach when I think of that and how she would be so delighted to share with all of her um, healthcare workers, you know, that, you know, the, her love for Christ. And uh, so she was a fantastic cancer victim. So I wanted to be a fantastic um, broken leg victim. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. And uh, praise God, right? Praise God for what he's done. Thank you. See, loved ones, that he could have asked why. But one of the things that Lynn continued to ask throughout this whole process was how and what. God, how are you going to use this and for what purpose? See, that, that's the question. And, and when you go through the valleys, when you go through the trials, when you go through the difficulties, when you start asking those questions, it moves away from, God, the focus is on me to, okay, God, how are you going to use this? How are you going to do this? What is it that you want to accomplish through this? Now, make no mistake, this has been incredibly difficult for you guys. I've, I've seen up close just the different ways that they've had to struggle and adjust and relearn life. 
I'm not trying to sugarcoat or airbrush something that, that uh, hasn't been incredibly painful and difficult. But it's radically altered the way that the situation has played out. God at work. God at work through persecution. God at work in difficulty and in hardship. Here's the final thing. And I'm going to move through this really quick because I want to make sure we have time to finish actually doing this. But God at work through prayer. God at work through prayer. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. So they get out and they go right to, hey, here's what happened. Check out verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So they heard what happened and the church started praying. That's the first thing they did. They're like, that's great. Let's pray. And then there's, they tell us what they prayed about. I'll just summarize this here. Uh, because in a moment, that's exactly what we're going to do is we're going to pray. All right. First of all, in verses 24 through 28, they're praying for God's sovereignty. The fact that God's the ruler and, and, and God reigns supreme. In fact, they say, for starting of their prayer, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And they talk, quoting from Psalm 2, about how they, the different people plot and they're, they're, they're against the Lord. And then he, verse 27 compares it to what just happened and unfolded with Jesus Really, the crux of the issue in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God, you're in control. You're the ruler. You're the one who um, has all these things in hand. But a prayer for God's sovereignty. I think sometimes we need to pray for God's sovereignty, not because it doesn't already exist, but to remind ourselves of the truth that God's in control. Secondly, there's a prayer for continued boldness. Look at verse 29. I'll just tell you, this wouldn't have been the thing that I would have prayed for. Uh, but uh, we can just thank God that I wasn't the one who was there at that point in time. And now, Lord, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and stop them, remove them, get rid of them. No, that's not what they say. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, make note of that. But what we're really asking you for is to help us to be bold. And then finally, verse 30, where they ask for God to continue to move and act while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, they recognize that only God and God alone can perform the miracles and that only God can change hearts. See, God, it worked through prayer. God, it worked through prayer. Now, as I studied this week, and I kept reading this over and over and over again, I kept thinking, well, you know, we could, well, different things we could talk about, different things we could say, how I could teach it. And then I just finally kept finding myself saying, you know what, these guys didn't talk about it. They just did it. That's what they did. They just got together and prayed. And so listen, 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 loved ones. I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to make some of you very uncomfortable right now. Okay? Uh, because if the church is supposed to be the church, then, then we've got to be the church. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish, and we're all going to pray. Now, I'm not going to force any of you to pray out loud. I'm not going to force any of you to do anything that you absolutely don't want to do. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, move chairs, move to different parts of the room. I don't really care. Grab a few people. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray through these specific things. We're going to pray through God's sovereignty. Uh, we're going to pray uh, to ask God to continue to give us boldness. And we're going to pray and ask God to continue to move. If you don't want to pray out loud, don't pray out loud. But let me just encourage I, I know for some of you that, that's a terrifying thing. And let's just blast through that stigma. It's not really terrifying. Because if you pray out loud or you pray silently, the way you're praying to God, who really cares what anyone else thinks or says? You're not praying to them anyway. And if they've got some issue with it, that's their issue, not yours. 